Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts tackle the topic of belief. Personally, I believe there's always something out there watching over us. Unfortunately, it's normally the government. Welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast and a special session in the podcast lounge where once again we're joined by uh, by Mike, Professor Mike. Hey, Mike. <laughs> Hello, Ray. And, Hi, Mike. Uh, hey, Marky. And also uh, joining us is, uh, as usual, is Mark down in uh, Virginia. How are you doing, Mark? I am doing fine here. All right. Today's topic is belief. Yeah. Oh, it's belief. Belief. Oh shoot, I had yeah. it wrong. Yeah. I, I thought this was no. rock and roll history again. <laughs> no, I think we covered that uh, pretty thoroughly last time. <laughs> I'll give you a dollar if you can work in Paul Revere and the Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in them. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to just keep getting harder to find. <laughs> <them>. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to see. You, you did it. You did it. Cigar uh, box. <laughs> I'm going to start by asking a long and impossibly complex question. <laughs> okay. Humans have a propensity to believe, uh, to, to adhere to concepts and thoughts that are not supported by any tangible evidence. So the question is, is there some evolutionary advantage to this? Is it the result of, of a mystic experience? Is it part of the collective unconsciousness? You know, despite ways of opposing philosophies like logical positivism, empiricism, and materialism, belief persists. The question is, why? You're looking at me. I'm looking at you. Um, well, I suppose um, um, you could you could really turn to you know people of uh, the kind like Houston Smith or. Joseph Campbell, who would talk about how we have always um, mythologized, and I, and I mean myth in the proper sense of truth, uh, not not you know uh, fairy tale, uh, but the dwell the drawings on cave walls have always been um, you know evidence of that um, it's archetypal, uh, and that um, eons ago. A bunch of men sat outside a cave in the Midian Desert and stared up at the sky and and said, um, how is it that we can have a concept called, called eternity when everything in our lives is temporally bound, you know, et cetera. And someone else would say, how come, uh, yeah, how come your kid uh, died and mine didn't? You're a good dude. Uh, it's not fair. Um, so we have this concept of justice. Where do we get that, um, et cetera? And then another one said, you know, it must be would come from some other place. And we carry within us the seeds of these uh, memories. And the poet among them wrote the Garden of Eden story, you know. Um, so it's, I think it's uh, part of, of who we are. I don't think it's so much a belief without evidence, because uh, that's more of a post-enlightenment um, rational way of understanding the concept of, of faith um, which you know predates the enlightenment mm -hmm. it goes back to the very beginning it's who we are um, right at our, at our most fundamental yeah you mentioned archetypes I mean that that's right ties right into uh, Jung's collective unconscious which that's was right. Great you book. know archetypes and instincts 
So is it is it just something learned, just a, a social thing, or is it the response to a sense of there's something beyond us? Where, where is it coming from? <clears throat> I think in part, I, I agree with you. I think belief comes naturally. Uh, it's the default state of the mind. It's really the disbelief that takes more effort than belief. And so I was just noodling around looking at different uh, different articles. But, uh, you know, I ran into the idea that uh, that young children are quick to believe, uh, suggesting that the ability to doubt and reject requires more experience and mental resources than acceptance. It's fatigued or distracted people that are more susceptible to persuasion. Uh, and even in testing, um, when you're measuring people's brain activity, you ask them about something they believe, and there's a certain degree of activity, but you ask them uh, to problem solve, you know, something they doubt and there's significantly more brain activity when they do that. So um, I, th- I think there's some some thinking that it does tie back to uh, you know to our ancient DNA when the uncritical acceptance of incoming information was really a good advantage. Um, if the leaves are rustling, uh, even though you don't know there's a predator behind you, uh, probably the ones the people who believe there were a predator behind them were probably the ones who lived and reproduced. Um, so it's it's in it's intake, but it's more than intake. It's really a two stage process of receiving incoming information, and then going through a process where you end up with a feeling of rightness, and that's when uh, you end up with a belief being formed. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's always good to remember too that um, in really all faith traditions, but I'm thinking mainly of uh, you know Christianity, but but it's true with all faith traditions that f- faith. Um, it means trust. Um, and the Greek word in the Christian New Testament, pistis, literally means trust, but it meant it in the same way um, that we mean trust today. Like, do you know that, Mark and I have had this conversation, do you know that your children are safe right now? You know, you say, well, yeah, because one of them is worth No, you don't know that they are. You're trusting that they are, because if you couldn't, if you had lacked that human capacity to trust, you'd be dehumanized. You couldn't have this conversation. You'd be a, a lunatic. Uh, well, in faith traditions, it's the same word and the same dynamic. If you trust that there is no death, um, you're, you're more humanized. You're liberated from uh, the primal fears. Um, and you don't worry about securing your existence under your own power. You try, I'm, not, I'm not saying one has to give their intellectual assent to faith uh, positions. It just means trust. So when Jesus would say, where is your faith? Um, he was saying quite literally the same thing that the historical Jesus would say today. All right now, the the, uh, the internet was kind of buzzing the last couple of weeks. There was a, a recently done study on uh, vengeful gods, and the prevailing belief was that uh, vengeful gods or, or moralizing gods appear after um, you know that they lead to a society developing. It's a precursor to, to social behavior, but this suggests that they're not the cause of civilization, but rather uh, the result of it. Then once the society reaches about a million people then all of a sudden religion develops. So what would you say to that observation? Well, religion, it depends what you mean by, by religion. I mean, you mean um, the cultural institution? 
The cultural institution, but also, I think, the, the moral structures that go with it. Because, again, that's outside the, the cave uh, openings. Um, moral behavior, uh, things that um, uh, are, are mandated of one, responsibilities, roles, family, provider, loyal, um, clansman. I don't mean like we would mean it today. Right. Um, but someone of the group, you know, so you, you would adhere to that. But it's, it's not a, a question of, you know, religion. Religion would follow culture, of course, mm-hmm. because it's a culture's way of explaining the world to itself in a consistent way, how it answers the primordial questions. If That's why Christianity doesn't look exactly like Islam, although the, the, the parallels are astounding, but it doesn't look much at all like Confucianism mm-hmm. because it's a different culture. So I guess there's an epistemological question is, where does this stuff come from? Where does this knowledge derive from? Knowledge? Knowledge about you know, moral, um, moral judgments, um, a code of conduct. Where, where does this come from? Is it, is it centered in the individual and religious experience, or is it society? Mm, interesting. I was just going to say, um, one, one of the pieces I read um, talked about how um, religion attracts followers, as the theory goes, because it satisfies all 16 basic desires that humans share, according to this article. I have more than 16. You say I have less than 16. (laughs) (laughs) I have 412. Now, it's, um, you know, according to the article, it said it's not just about, you know, fear of death. Uh, Religion couldn't achieve mass acceptance if it only fulfilled one or two basic desires. But what they did was they they surveyed over 100,000 people and they found that uh, there's 16 basic desires that we all share. Acceptance, curiosity, eating, family, honor, idealism, independence, order, physical activity, power, romance, saving, social contact, status, tranquility, and vengeance. And they basically said, you know, people differ based on how much, how much, how important each of those factors are. Uh, but they basically said religion hits on all thrusters for everybody. Uh, it's just a matter of, of which ones have more uh, more emphasis. Was Mary Bianchi in the Jean Skirt and Physics Lab among those 16? Did I miss that? <laughs> 17. <laughs> That's interesting. The, the password is Bunsen Burner. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting to see it as uh, um, an epistemological, you know, question. I just don't approach it that way. I mean, I see it as primal, uh, archetypal, mm-hmm. us at our most human, mm-hmm. uh, which we are when we trust. Um, so it's I wouldn't even see it as as cultural. It's humans are. Um, are what what makes a person you know human? They they are human in relationship, um, and there you go with you know trust is necessary. But those relationships um, don't stop you know one to one. They invite you into a deeper experience of being alive uh, mm-hmm. when you look up at the desert sky, as they did. Um, you ask those those questions that can only be answered through that language of myth and right. story 
and shared beliefs because if you are in a group uh, the talks begin by the fireside and names for the constellations you know will will be shared names and then before you know it it's a village and then a thousand people and you call it a religion mm-hmm. yeah. so would religion exist outside of social interaction uh it just yeah it would look different um you would it's like i had a conversation not long ago with somebody who who was talking about how you know ridiculous it is uh, uh about religious rituals um that's what the conversation was and, and how you know, and stupid it is that um, we, a Catholic, will go to a service and they have all these to the beat, but and you know the hymns and the wine and the, you know the the hocus pocus and like they were talking about just the repetitive rituals. And I said, great, get rid of everything, and you can hold it in your house, um, and then you invite people over, and you'll have um, a loaf of rye bread and um, some Chardonnay. Um, and that's great. And before you know it, you're going to find yourself, you know, using the same tablecloth, and people will sit in the same chairs, and it'll have to be the same kind of Chardonnay. And and that's just the way humans work. You know, we constellate things. If you look at that's what the constellations, the idea of constellations. I mean, we know the stars aren't anywhere near each other, but we make pictures out of them. The human intellect works that way, and it's the same way with, you know, with myth. Um, so if you get a group of people together, they will do things in that way. And then four families, and then 12, and then 1,000 people, and you call it religion. Okay. Getting back to the epistemology, is it just a sense of awe for, for what's around us and not understanding it, or is it a genuine mystic experience that is uh, the genesis of religion wow. and belief? Wow. I don't, I mean, yeah, I think there's probably more than one answer to that one, that's for mm-hmm. sure, but f- for me, it comes from the dark side, you know. Um, people will chug along in their lives, and um, everything is fine, and they'll participate in a faith tradition, and something happens. And it has to either answer it, the question, like one of those primordial questions, why is there innocent suffering? That has been asked you can go back to Hinduism, 5,000, 7,000 years old. It has to address that because it's, um, I just think religion really, it may not come only from the dark side. It may be an experience, a mystical experience, because certainly that's present. Mm-hmm. But I think what sustains it is the ability to answer that question. And if it can't, then it then it's on a southbound train. It's going to phase out and re- get reformulated in a way that does answer the question. You know, the book of Job is the best example of that. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever read. But it really, you know, it's the dark side that makes us human, I think. Mm -hmm. But that's a pretty depressing view. But, you know, as I'm sitting near the window. I I almost view it like uh, bringing a a spark to kindling. I mean, in in a way, the the, the kindling is sort of the, what we have in our DNA, uh, you know, the idea of we look, we seek we seek order in things. Uh, we seek perhaps those 16 principles. Uh, the whole prime directive of the brain is to extract meaning out of things. And beliefs really define how we see the world and how we act within it. So, But what I find fascinating is when you get down to different religions and different parts of the globe, you'll end up with these 
interesting similarities. Um, stunning similarities. Yeah. I mean, whether, whether it's uh, the Trinity, uh, supernatural, mm-hmm. you know, supernatural entities, uh, life after death, um, a set of, a code of behavior, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And, and it's sort of, are you going to coincidentally get that close unless there isn't a spark of the divine in each of us that lights that kindling? And the, the examples you mentioned, Mark, are... Uh, more like intellectual ones, like the Trinity, which is a Greek, you know, thing, fifth century. But it's it's also um, similarity to weak a word, um, identical myths, identical mythical formulations. So, the story of a um, a, a virgin who gives birth to a child who becomes a redeemer, dies and rises is all over the place which is very disconcerting to fundamentalist christians but but to me it's 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 um it's wow you know it's yeah. a, first it's greek predates christianity uh, it's also in east african west african tribes and um in the, the american southwest even some far eastern religions i think you know ha- have some similarities well, buddha buddha's the christ figure the yeah. Bodhisattva, um, I mean, um, yeah. And, and so even if we're encoded, um, even if religion scratches an itch we're all born with, um, what lights it the same way? I mean, and, and that's where I start leaning towards, now that's something that's just inexplicable. It's not going to be that eerily similar amongst cultures that didn't necessarily have trade routes with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so. Well, they didn't have... You know, trade routes. And that's what that's what um, Jung, you know, talked about. It can only happen one of two ways um, uh, in his archetypes of the collective unconscious. It can either be diffusion, where where you know some guy leaves um, um, uh, Thessalonica and, and, and on, on a horse and goes to uh, um, the Middle East and says, "Hey, you guys might might want to try this myth." You know, or it's it's that there's something so um, basic to our humanity. Uh, we all need to eat. We all mm-hmm. um, um, need each other. We all uh, need to sleep. And we also need to touch the transcendent. And that's what he said. So how does that come out? I mean, it comes out what um in rational discussion you know if you're post-enlightenment uh, people like us yes uh, but if you're not it, it comes out in your mythology which is why they're the same which is why um, jesus had to go into the desert you know buddha who was a hindu um you know left and um went the great going forth you know he Left the palace walls and and um, I mean that's this is all over leaving. Um, 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 uh, Muhammad uh, went into the cave and got his revelation. Uh, um, Moses um, climbed um, Sinai. It's it's all the same. And I think one thing that makes it so challenging in the in the, some of the reading I was doing too is the idea that it's uh, it's almost like you're on an intellectual and spiritual balance beam. Um, in the sense that if belief comes from the combination of incoming information and also your gut reaction, your internal feeling of rightness, you're going to depend on two things. One is your 
your senses. If your senses are off, like you have no memory, if your car keys keep moving, you may believe space aliens are moving it mm -hmm. <laughs> because you don't remember that you move them, you know? And, and also the sense of your, your rightness is very much a cultural thing too, your cultural identity. Uh, what group, what group do you hang with? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it's very interesting. It's, it's, it's almost one of those deals where, um, you're probably on the right path to keep your horizons open and be, be open to new things because not, you know, you start closing off the, the transcendent and, right. uh, and that's probably a bad idea. Yeah. And it always changes, um, as you get older in the same way, like a work of art doesn't look the same or sound the same if it's music um, when you're 70 as it did when you were 30 it didn't change you know you did and you have to make it make sense to you or it doesn't speak anymore but like ray was talking about the mystical experience I mean, that's something we didn't talk about but that's that's um, um also you know foundational but joseph campbell used to say that what we what we want is is not um uh, what we think we do, what we want, is an experience of being alive, um, and mm -hmm. that's what that's about—the mystical experience. So all that's real too. I can't relate to it. Um, mm -hmm. um, well, I'm thinking of a joke now, but <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there. I can't relate to it, but but uh, those things are real, and in all faith traditions as well. That's why I don't scoff at. Um, you know, the Padre Pio uh, stories and Catholicism. I, I can't, I don't get it. I don't know. But I'm not going to piss on it. I mean, it's it's pretty old stuff. Right. Pretty basic. Yeah. What, what I had mentioned, I mentioned this before, but I know for, for me, if I was, you know, pinned down, where does your sense of belief come from? You know, if I drilled right down, about the only thing I could explain is the sense that um, I've never felt that I'm alone. Um, and whether that's just, that's your head aware of itself is that, that's all it is. It eh, could be, mm. I don't know, but I always, I always thought that if I'm in solitude and I'm transmitting a thought, it's actually being heard by somebody other than me. You do. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Where, where does that come from? I don't know. Well, I think it's a, it's a gift. I think, I mean, I, I don't have that feeling at all. You know? Now I said, you know, is it going to some guy who's 33 years old with a beer who, beard who looks like Jeffrey Hunter? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know what it is, you know, but I believe there's something there. Yeah, mine goes to a guy who's 33 years old who has a beer. A beer. A beer. Wow, that killed the conversation. Wow. That was a pause. Right. We're, waiting, we're waiting for Ray. We can edit these things out. It's not live radio, you know. Yes, I, 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 I believe that despite proof uh, otherwise that there are people listening to this right now somewhere. This is going out live. Well, the NSA is probably listening in. Yeah. I think it's on FISA Warren on us. But I think, I think we're living in a time um, where it's discussions like this are are you know very important because they always have mythical expressions that's what religion is um but our society and culture has changed so much and it's changing so fast that we have no myths i mean the myths um when people say well the people aren't as kids aren't religious today they don't go to church you know i said well that's because it's a failure of the, the faith uh, traditions to to unpack their myths and make them speak to uh, uh, new generations but it's it's difficult um, i mean there used to be uh, initiation rites and uh, 
Joseph Campbell talks about that a lot too. Is like when you were entering adulthood to be a male. If you're a woman, it's the, your period, you know. So it's kind of unmistakable. If you're a man, it's like they drag you off into a a cave, and that's where most cave drawings really are about the adolescent into adulthood initiation rites that relate to that. And when you come out of that thing. You ain't the same. I mean, uh, you have teeth missing, and uh, um, and now the bishop gives you that perfunctory slap, you know, in the face. It just right. doesn't. It doesn't work, and so it doesn't. So somebody asked Joseph Campbell one time. You know, uh, it was Bill Morris, I think, in those famous interviews. Um, um, he said, you know, what what are the consequences of not having myths? And he said, read the paper. You know, we're coming apart. We're coming unglued. Um, and I think there's truth in that. But, you know, if humans will survive, it'll come back again uh, yeah, well, in some form. Well, we're going through a phase, I think, of kind of a new mythology. There's all the, the new age stuff. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the internet memes. People there's, are searching. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, in a vacuum, people will invent their own myths. Well, right now, science is kind of like the new religion. And by that, I mean that, you know, the, the really the modern way of of looking at reality is that it's all explicable scientifically and they people see science in a linear way we we didn't know anything then we knew a little now we know a lot and then we're really going to know it, tacit implication is all things are knowable and there's a great book that i read and I, I wish i could understand it i had like a four dictionaries and the guy's an astrophysicist at Dartmouth, Marcelo Gleiser. He wrote a book called um, The Island of Knowledge. Um, and this is a guy who really gets it. Um, he said that we have this false linear concept of science when it's really an island. Here's a better metaphor. He said, uh, uh, science, I'm going like this in my hands, which is really helpful to anybody who's <laughs> listening. But knowledge is an island, and it sits in a sea of mystery. Uh, so the way to understand science and the acquisition of knowledge is the larger you got to picture this listeners the larger the island of knowledge the longer the shoreline of wonder so that's the way it is so even science Mm -hmm. is will never answer the questions that are, are the province of religion and all things are not knowable you know, they're just factoids. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And, and I'm thinking of myself in the, uh, we've also lost our old um, sense of community as well, where the where the church played a huge role. So society is just uh, changing uh, tremendously quickly. Yeah. It's probably yeah, just going to be, the dust is going to be in the air for quite some time, probably. You see that in the architecture, you know, when steeples used to be the tallest things in a community, then it became... Um, uh, then it became uh, uh, governmental structures, you know, castles, and right. then it became commerce, you know. And, and so, yeah, um, it's changed. The role of religion has really lost its um, its um, place because we're lost, mm-hmm. I think. So yeah. did, did it did it lose its place because it became not relevant, didn't keep up with the times, or, or did people it's, change? Its myths stopped working. I don't think before the Enlightenment, you know, I think we, we sell those people short as these naive uh, pre-Enlightenment. You know, if you walked into a, 
a library before Kant. I mean, it wasn't divided fiction, nonfiction. You know, truth was taught by story. And I think uh, it had, you know, great relevance. I don't think people stopped to think, was Jesus really raised from the dead as a historical fact? I don't think that question would be formulated. Because it wasn't relevant? uh, Because it spoke to them. The reality of no death. Mm -hmm. The reality of... Of this is just, and it's very Buddhist, really. This is just an expression of life that we're in right now. It's not life. It's just a, an expression of it, and it continues. Um, I don't think they would have thought of the question. It's only a post-Enlightenment thing that makes us say, did it happen as a historical fact? Mm-hmm. So you have to answer the question posed that way, yes or no. If you, yes, then are you more religious? You're in a fundamentalist sense, but which is to say... You know, crazy. It's, fundamentalism is not a religion. As a guy I studied with once said, it's a one said it's a it's a it's a mental disorder. I mean, fundamentalism is crazy. But if you say no, then what does that mean? It means that you don't believe um, that life goes on after you die, and that this is it. And these are questions that I don't think would have been asked before the Enlightenment. You know. So you're saying the Enlightenment was uh, good for society, but not necessarily great for religion? I'm saying that we're suffering from a post-Enlightenment hangover. We've yet to reconcile the world of fact and the world of truth. We see them as synonyms, and they're not. You know, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That's a fact. It doesn't need me. It doesn't need you. And when we're gone... It will still travel at 186,000 miles per second. Truth is a human thing. It, it, what light means to me, which is that I can see you in real time, that's, that's the truth of light. So the truth, truth is, is the province of, of meaning and purpose. These are all human things. So after humans, no truth. So we've eaten the forbidden fruit and we're dealing Ah, with the consequences. Yeah, we've eaten, yeah, uh, which is a great myth, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because that's that's what we've done. We've eaten of the knowledge of the tree, of the fruit the tree of whatever it is, of, of good, good and evil. And yeah. evil. Yeah. But, you know, before that, in the, in the garden, there was no binary anything. I mean, there was no good, evil. God walked among, nobody knew they were naked. There was no male. I mean, it's only after you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if I got it right this time, yep. everything broke out in binary form. Uh, and that's where we live on the east of Eden. So that, that replicated itself in the Enlightenment, again, with the physical and the non-physical, the, the real and the, the believed. The, they, they came separate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the world of facticity, the whole foundation of the country, the children of the Enlightenment, Jefferson and people that said we don't need the church, not that they weren't believers. They, separate, we don't need uh, um, kings and queens, and we don't need the church. We can do it ourselves, we the people. So that's that's our provenance right there. But it's all post-Enlightenment, and we've yet to reconcile the other world. We see the pre-Enlightenment world and the world of faith as, yeah, right, you know, believe in fairy tales. Uh, that's the, out on you know, the street, and that's how it's regarded, but it's a it's a distorted understanding of what faith really is. It's very rational. It makes sense. You can read the Christian New Testament or any, the Quran, you know, anything, and it makes perfect sense, properly understood. Now, whether you 
give your trust to it, that's another story. That's always a choice. Right. So contemporary society, post-enlightenment, there's a piece missing from it. But we still have those beliefs, those experiences, and we have no place to put them. The thing that will never go away are the questions. Are we alone? Mark says we're not, and uh, makes makes me jealous. I mean, that's good that you know that. I mean, you feel that. Um, are we alone? What happens when we die? Um, why is there innocent suffering? What is good? What why? Is, why is anything? Yeah, you know, uh, it, non-existence makes much more sense than existence, at least from our framework. Especially when you're my age. <laughs> <laughs> Well, remember, we've probably always had this struggle because once it, once upon a time we had tall, tall steeples, which was a representative of our faith, but we also put lightning rods on top, <laughs> which is you know, kind of a, lot, a lack of conviction. <laughs> You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast, where I believe that we are more than mere blobs of self-aware protoplasm clinging to a rock hurtling through space. We're all different! Yes! We're all different! I'm not...